Thank you so much. Good to see you again. God bless you. Thank you so much, Kay, for those kind words. It's a joy to see you again. It's a joy to be back with you, and uh, I appreciate so much this great opportunity. It's been afforded to me uh, by your committee, by your pastor, Chris, to come and share with you and give to you both the charge to Chris and a charge to the church. I want to be brief. I know the hour is getting late. We've got two services in one today, so I want to acknowledge that and get right into my assignment, what you've asked me to come to do. And so I want to ask you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, and then if you'll also turn and hold your scriptures to Ephesians 4. 1 Peter chapter 5, and then we'll move to Ephesians 4 in just a moment. Let's read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. The elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that will be revealed, shepherd or feed the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers, not by compulsion, but willingly, not for dishonest gain, but eagerly, not as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. First of all, the charge to Brother Chris, as your pastor taken from this text, as he's already expounded from First Peter earlier to the graduates that did a great job. And by the way, I want to congratulate all of you graduates and your family on a tremendous milestone in your lives. And we certainly celebrate this occasion with you as well. In this text, Peter says several things to the pastor, to the elder, to the overseer of the church. All of these names are used synonymously in the Bible to refer to the office of senior pastor or to the pastor of the church. And I want to share with you two things that he says in the text. And uh, Chris, this is my charge to you. First of all, he says, feed the flock on on the word of God in verse 2. Some translations say shepherd the flock. Probably a better term and a better translation of the word feed because a shepherd has three primarily responsibilities according to the New Testament, in his office. He is to be the under-shepherd of the church, serving under the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the head of the New Testament church. Pastors serve under the authority and under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself is the head of the New Testament church. And so he says, knowing that you are the under-shepherd, And it's wonderful that he compares the pastoral ministry to that of a shepherd because there's so much in common with how a pastor leads a church in the way that a shepherd leads his sheep. And this analogy is used both in the Old Testament and the New Testament concerning the ministry of Jesus Christ, he himself being our chief shepherd. Feed this flock, shepherd his flock. Three responsibilities of the shepherd. First, to feed the flock. Now, what that means is it doesn't mean that Chris's responsibility is to feed you, literally. We can't do that. All a shepherd can do is set the table and lead you to the gospel 
to the Word of God for you to feed on God's Word. That's his responsibility. I hear some people sometimes say, well, I just don't get fed. Well, whose fault is that? It's your fault. It's not the pastor's fault if you're not being fed because it's not the pastor's responsibility to actually feed you. You are to feed yourself on the Word of God. It's the pastor's responsibility to make sure he is preaching the gospel and he is laying before you the Word of God for you to nurture yourself and grow in your relationship to Jesus Christ. So he says, feed the flock, shepherd the flock, lay before them the gospel, the word of God. And I have no doubt you're very capable and have already proven to this congregation the skills and the ability and the anointing that he already has in laying before you the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But then the shepherd is to tend the flock. This has to do with, Chris and I have talked about this in our mentoring sessions. This has to do with taking care of the sheep, looking after the sheep. That is as much of responsibility of the under-shepherd in the church as feeding the church on the word of God. The shepherd loves his sheep. He knows them by name and they know him. It talks about the unique, special, close relationship that a shepherd has to his sheep. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, as a director of missions now, as a pastor for over 37 years in my own right, I am disturbed today that so many younger pastors want to stand in the pulpit and feed the flock of God, but they come short on tending the flock of God. And Chris, I want to encourage you to do both, because that's your assignment, to feed these people on God's word. Open the gospel to them every time you stand to preach and feed them on the word of God, but also to tend to them. Sheep need their shepherd, especially in the crisis moments of life. I can guarantee you this. Your people won't remember half the sermons you ever preached from this pulpit. But they will remember when you came to the hospital to visit them in a time of crisis or when you minister to their family in a time of uncertainty and great anxiety, facing things that they've never faced in life, and for their pastor and their staff to be there to stand beside them in those moments, those are the things that endear you to a congregation, and a congregation feels endeared to you because you're promoting and nurturing that relationship that is so important between pastor and and people. I charge you, I admonish you, feed the flock, but also tend the flock. The third thing is the shepherd does is he leads the flock. He leads the flock. You'll never see the shepherd behind the sheep. The sheep don't lead the shepherd. The shepherd is always out front leading the sheep. If the sheep's leading the shepherd, you're in trouble. But if the shepherd is leading the sheep out front with his rod and his staff, you see the sheep get great comfort when they can see their pastor or their shepherd out front leading. And that's what leaders do. Leaders lead. And sometimes they get shot for it. Sometimes they get wounded for it. Sometimes they get criticized for it. But nevertheless, leaders must lead. Can I get an affirmation from this church this morning that you want your pastor to lead you? Yes. 
Amen. They want you to lead. And God has commanded you to lead. And after all, that's who we're to please, is our chief shepherd. And to keep our focus on him and lead the church. So he says, feed the flock, shepherd the flock on God's word. Then he says, give oversight to the entire ministries of the church. That's basically what Peter's saying in verses 2 through 3. Now, the word overseer there means to look after, be responsible for. Again, it's connected to your leadership role. But what I want to focus in on is what he focuses in on here is the attitude in which you lead, the attitude in which you give leadership, because that's exactly what he warns us as, as pastors and under shepherd to make sure that we keep our attitude in check, that we do not think more highly of ourselves than we ought because of our position or our role, Neither do we apologize for it or make excuses for it. There is a balance between having the right kind of self-esteem and attitude of service as a leader, and that's what Peter is saying here. First of all, he says, have a willing attitude to work and lead. To have a willing attitude. You should never be in a position as a pastor where you've got to make yourself get up and go. Now, sometimes physically you may feel that way. But I'm talking about mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. You're, you're to lead. The church is not to try to twist your arm to lead. You get up every morning ready to lead, willing to fulfill the responsibility and the calling God has upon your life and do it with a willing attitude. Then he says your motivation of ministry is not to be based on your paycheck. I heard one deacon, a story of one deacon who always prayed to the church for his pastor, when he was called upon to pray, he would always end his prayer, Lord, you keep him humble, we'll keep him poor. <laughs> well, there's certainly a, a side of humility that is so to be a characteristic of a pastor is to serve humbly in the position that God has called you to serve. And that's true of every staff member who has the call of God upon their life, to serve the fellowship of God humbly. You don't do it because of the size of your paycheck. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say this to you. This is why many pastors are very, very reluctant when they talk to a pastor search committee or personnel committee to ever mention money. And it's because of this scripture. Pastors and ministers are very timid when it comes to talking about their financial package because they do not want to give the impression that they're serving because of the size of a paycheck. Now, that's different from the secular world, and that's different from many of you in your jobs, because your pay envelope has a lot to do as to whether you're going to take that job or not. That's one of the basic criteria you use in the business world. But with a pastor, the mentality is different, and you must be aware of that. And the way I say to this to you, and this will come in just a moment, the charge to the church, but be sensitive to Chris's financial needs, he and Ashley and Kinsley's financial need. Don't ever put him in a position where he has to come and ask for a raise. And that's true of all of your staff. You need to be sensitive and responsible and give an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. The laborer is worthy of his hire, the scripture says. And so always put your staff in a position as well as your pastor. You ask the questions. What are we doing about that compensation? Are we being fair? And there's all kinds of studies you can get to do comparisons, okay, on the personnel committee 
this is something you can always do and get comparisons as a low, medium age, and a high level on salaries. But I want to say to you that Chris's responsibility, his motivation for his ministry is not based on his paycheck. Then being a leader, he says, by example, not a dictator. Being a leader by example, not a dictator. Chris is coming to you as a young pastor. In fact, this is his first church to pastor. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a tremendous, awesome opportunity, but also an awesome responsibility to be placed on the shoulders of a young man. I can speak from experience. When I became pastor of Lakeside, I was 34 years old. I came from a little rural church between Clanton and Prattville in a community called Billingsley in a small farming rural church to a mega church almost overnight. I had been youth minister at Lakeside, so I had already had a relationship with the people there when they called me back to be their pastor. I can say this to you, Chris. Being a youth minister in a church means that you, get, you have given leadership heretofore to one piece of the pie in terms of the overall ministries of this church. You're now going to what I call the big chair, and you're going to have the whole pie. Your responsibility will be to every ministry in this church, not just a youth ministry any longer, even though that's a vital ministry of the church and the children's ministry but also the senior adult ministry, the education ministry, the music ministry. All the ministries now become that piece of pie that you're to be the overseer of, the guide, the leader. And you and your staff work together in giving leadership to the various ministries. You set the vision as God gives you the vision from his word. You set the vision for the staff. You set the vision for the church. And without the vision, the people perish. They wander like sheep. So there has to be a clear vision, and it's your responsibility to articulate that vision to the congregation clearly so they can understand where you're seeking to lead them. Take the time to do that. Don't get in a hurry to do that. Let the church know. Tell them how God has spoken to you through the word, through however he speaks, but share with them your heart when you get ready to lead them in maybe unknown or uncertain areas where you've never been before as a church. Now remember, they're sheep, and you're the shepherd. And sheep are very timid animals. They're very timid. And they have to have the confidence, not only in the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus, which they have, but they want the confidence in you. And I can tell you right now, it'll take you the first five years of your ministry in this church to build the confidence level that you'll need to pastor this church. It's not going to come overnight. There are a lot of people who are sitting in this congregation today who are saying he's mighty young. He's mighty young. Paul and I talked about this when they shared with me during the search committee when they called to give a reference on Chris. And I said, you know, he's, that's some of the things that people said is awful young. I remember what Harper Shannon said one time when he was sitting in a pastor ordination uh, our pastor installation committee. Well, no, it's an ordination committee. They're getting ready for the installation if they called him. But they were sitting in the ordination uh, council and uh, uh, talking about the, the new pastor. And as they talked about all of his traits and all of his strengths 
and just how great he was and what a great pastor he was going to be with his one old deacon who kept saying, yeah, but he's mighty young. He's mighty young. And every time they'd try to share strengths and everything positive they could, he'd come back and say, yeah, but I'm telling you, he's mighty young. Finally, one deacon just got tired of hearing that, and he said, to him, he said, Joe, you're right. He's mighty young, but he'll outgrow that challenge. <laughs> and Chris is young. But I'm going to tell you something. I believe that to be a great strength. As someone said, he will hopefully be with you a long time as your pastor and give great leadership to this church because you're at a pivotal point in this community and the ministry of your church. This is a crucial decision that you've made, and I know that you've made it under the leadership and direction of the Holy Spirit. Don't look back. Look forward and go forward in faith. This is my charge to you. My charge to the church is found in Ephesians chapter uh, five, 4. If you'll turn to that passage right quick. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, <coughs> excuse me, in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. Church, I charge you, first of all, as a congregation, to walk in unity. Our responsive reading was so beautifully written and expressed by you as we read it together. It has a theme of walking in unity, and that's exactly what Paul said to the Ephesian church. It's so important for the body of Christ to be unified. And the reason is because Jesus tells us in the Scripture that it's through the unity of the body of Christ that the world takes notice of the church. And when they see a body of Christ, a body of believers unified toward one mission, one goal of making him known to the world and sharing the gospel throughout the world, when we're unified in our purpose, when we're unified in our vision, we move forward. The world takes notice and they know by the way we love each other and the way we treat each other that we are the disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Love is at the very heart of unity. Love is the motivation. Love is what leads to a unified people. When we truly love each other, we're able to walk together. And when we find ourselves sometimes not walking together, we may need to go back to 1 Corinthians 13 and read it again and read the characteristics of how love conducts itself in life. It's not self-centered. It's not selfish. It doesn't consider its own way. It's always esteeming what Paul said, esteeming others better than oneself. Chris is going to need you to be a unified congregation as you walk beside him and hold up his arms to be your pastor. He's going to need that kind of support from you through your prayers, through your words of encouragement especially when you sense that he may be down, especially when you sense that the church is going through some major decisions. And any time the church goes through a major decision process, there's always differences of opinion. And that's okay. 
There is nothing wrong in the body of Christ by having a different opinion and being strong in what you feel. But the challenge is, is don't you sin in trying to represent your opinion. Don't you get mean-spirited and ugly in the body of Christ in expressing your differences or the the way you would go about it. Maintain that spirit of unity for the sake of the church. The church is bigger than any one of its members. And so you want to be unified in your spirit and God will honor your fellowship when he sees you always first seeking the unity. Not my way, but God's way as I understand it and see it and bring that kind of spirit to the table. And so he says, walk worthy of your calling in Christ Jesus through unity. How do you walk worthy in a worthy manner? Walking in lowliness and meekness, he says. That's esteeming others better than yourself. By being long-suffering, that's being patient with one another. I tell pastors all the time, if you're going to be a pastor,